Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. My name is Tom Horrocks, and today on F1 Firesides, we're joined by a real heavyweight in the F1 world. He's a Formula One reporter at Racer, freelance journalist, reporter at Sirius XM, and he even finds time to produce and co-host the Pad Hoc podcast with fellow bigwigs, Lance Barreto and Nate Saunders. This is, of course, all between rounds of golf between Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz. Welcome to Grid Talk, Chris Bedland. Thank you very much for having me. What an intro that was as well. Um, I have to admit that the, the rounds of golf bit hurts right now because I'm glad we're doing a podcast. I've got a broken hand, so I can't play golf or any contact sport. Um, not that golf's a contact sport, but you get my point. So, um, yeah, that hurt. But I, heavyweight is is accurate after Christmas, I must admit. <laughs> it's <laughs> piled it on. I think we're all probably carrying a little bit of, heavy, a little bit of holiday weight. And I won't, um, I won't embarrass you with the reason behind that broken hand on, on the podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that to you to tell your, your social media followers on that. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really want to probe your experience into F1 as we, as we, uh, as we go on uh, with this a little, bit, a little bit today as we go along. But also, we're a little bit late to the podcast because there's been some breaking news. So I'd also like to, to probe you on that as well, if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm really appreciate you waiting for me, basically, because, yeah, we should have been recording this over two hours ago. And a few hours before we were going to record, I got an alert saying there's an important press conference that you're going to want to join um, that involved General Motors and Andretti Global, which just it's not often that you get a major car manufacturer and a racing team making some sort of announcement together and it not being a big deal. So, uh, yeah, I had to jump on that. And it, it was a big deal. It was uh, that Andretti's hopeful or potential Formula One entry is going to be done in conjunction with uh, General Motors, with Cadillac. So it'll be Andretti Cadillac Racing, and it'll be based out of the US. They'll have a, a UK kind of satellite base because there's just so many expertise in the UK and logistically it makes a lot of sense. But they said they'll they'll headquarter it uh, in Indiana at their new uh, Andretti Global headquarters there. So yeah, it was a, a big, big story actually, because it really moves that Andretti story on quickly because previously the the big lacking thing was you know where's the where's the kind of manufacturer backing that really will catch formula one's interest uh, and open that door and now they've clearly got it which then tallies with why the fia said they're looking into opening up expressions of interest this week so uh yeah things uh things seem to be moving pretty quickly to start 2023 yeah absolutely i mean is it is it a done deal or is it just just intense right now it's just intent right now that um, the FIA haven't actually opened up the expressions of interest kind of part of the process. So once they do that, any team that wants to enter Formula One will have to uh, submit a proposal that kind of you know shows their business plan and model and the impact they can have and the, the facilities they have, the personnel, all of that, everything that shows whether they could make a success uh, of entering a Formula One team. And then the FIA can kind of look at, okay, which ones are serious players that we we believe in, uh, if any, because the last time they did this, there weren't any that came of it. And then from there, they can start discussing with Formula One and, and looking at what value each one would bring to the sport and whether they have one, two, three, however many uh, places they think they can actually fill. So all of that's still to come. It, that that process hasn't even started yet, but uh, it looks like it will. It's a, it'd be a big surprise if the FIA came out and said they're looking at that and then didn't do it, especially now after this announcement. But it it just shows that Andretti are a very serious player now um, with the Cadillac partnership uh, with GM behind them. The first time GM have ever entered Formula One, if it happens. It's a good sign for Formula One. It shows the interest, but it's also a good sign for that team that, okay, you've kind of checked every box in terms of uh, as serious an outfit as you could be. Now it's down to whether that door properly opens and, and you can convince the teams as well and Formula One itself that you will bring added value and, and strengthen the sport. 
Yeah, fantastic. And and it's just the 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 other manufacturer that we've been looking for, really. And but when when I heard about Cadillac and General Motors, I I I just thought, well, is that really a uh, an F one? You know, it doesn't really not really a name that you'd think would go with F one. I, I I think probably the only time they've ever been in F one would be the Indy five hundred uh, when that was in the uh, in part of the championship, but. I mean, why why would Cadillac choose now to go in, into F one, and is 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 that really why they they're looking at? Because people don't don't associate them with like the the top echelons of motorsport. Is that the reason why? Or I, I don't know if it's that they don't associate them with the top echelons of motorsport. I mean, they certainly don't outside of America. That's true. Um, but in the US, that they race in IMSA, uh, they're going to race in WEC at the one this year with their hypercar. They race in IndyCar, so they are in the top levels of North American motorsport and in sports cars will be going a bit more global. Uh, but it's because Cadillac is the most international brand General Motors have. Uh, they do sell sell directly to Europe. They also sell to Japan, to China. Uh, South Korea, I think, is the only one because Middle East is also another place that they sell. Uh, so South Korea is the only one where there's not a Grand Prix. So there, there's a lot of places that are markets that they sell to where Formula One races. Uh, because the question they got was, oh, is it because there's now three F1 races in America and therefore it, it's big for the American market. And they said, look, that's nice. That's cool to be able to race close to home. But no, it's because we want people globally to know the Cadillac brand better. So exactly as you say, actually, people don't associate it with it, it with Formula One at the moment. They they want to change that. I had a friend who actually he said on a group chat when they saw the news that when they hear Cadillac, they think of massive cars, oversized cars going very slowly down a main street. And it's like, well, that's kind of what they're wanting to change. They're trying to change that image by being in top level motorsport and formula one is as high as you can go so i think the combination of the cost cap uh, making it much more realistic for teams now the boom in america that then caught the eye the timing in terms of you know cadillac itself the brand has been growing their sales have been very good so it's in a position of strength and it wants to capitalize on all of that and the momentum it can take into uh entering Formula One and then going even more global. So uh, that's why that interest is there. Uh, and I think as well, GM has probably looked around and, and Formula One is the only thing it hasn't done itself. As you say, I think, you know, the Indy 500 maybe when it was um, run under or counted towards the championship, but that wasn't an F1 entry as such. So it, it's always been a... Uh, I actually asked the, the president of GM on this call about it and he kind of said it's always been an ambition. It's not that they were never, in, never interested. They've always been interested, but the time's never been right multiple reasons whether the door was completely closed or whether it was too expensive or whether it was a global financial situation whatever but now it's all come together and they've got an experienced racing team in andretti that have come to them and said let's do this let's do this together we can help you do it um it all it all fits and uh i, I think it's a, a smart move because it also isn't just entering all on its own it's not just cadillac racing coming in and, and starting from zero it's andretti cadillac it's kind of sharing a bit of the burden more than dipping its toe in but but not diving in full as a, a full works team all on its own so um i think it's just like the kind of perfect storm in that sense for them yeah and, and uh andretti global do talk up their that their ability to to field an f1t but my one concern with with andretti and please tell me if i'm if i'm wrong on this they're not massively successful at the moment they haven't won an indycar championship in 10 years and i think ryan hunter ray was was the last Andretti drivers to win a championship. So, what makes this? You know, they've never won in Formula E either. So, what what does what makes this this bid different? I, I think one thing, and you're totally right about IndyCar. Um, it's something that some people have overlooked when they talk about Colton Herter and is he good enough uh, for Formula One and should he have a super license? He's been racing for Andretti when Andretti haven't been that competitive. 
and therefore he's been limited in the results he can get. So obviously he hasn't finished top three regularly in the championship, uh, hasn't got the super license points, but he's actually done well and he's had some standout performances in not so competitive machinery. Uh, but I think that's actually been a reflection of just how strong IndyCar has become. And when you have four car teams, then yeah, if one team is doing well, um, they can almost you know, power their way to success in that way. Like if, if you've got a strong four-car team like a Penske, like a Ganassi, then it's very hard to break into that. Um, and maybe one driver can do it. But if you look at McLaren, they've been good. They've been competitive the last couple of years in IndyCar, haven't won a championship, haven't won the Indy 500. Um, and yeah, that's a shame, but they've been good. They've been there or thereabouts. It's just, you know, their way's been blocked by uh, bigger, stronger teams. So I, I don't think it's fully reflective of, of how uncompetitive Andretti have been. They're still a, a serious outfit. But also, as you mentioned, they've been expanding. You know, they've they've gone into uh, involvement with Formula E and Extreme E as well, I believe. They, they've kind of branched out a lot. And that's why they've suddenly gone, look, we're, we're growing quickly and there's lots of things we want to be doing, but we don't have the infrastructure for it. So that's what's changed now. That's why they're building this new huge headquarters uh, in Fishers in Indiana, so near Indianapolis. And it's going to be, it's, it's built for Formula One, really. It's that size, that scale, that investment. They've got serious backing from an investment group. Um, and with all of that together, it's going to give them the platform and the facilities to tackle multiple championships at once. So I think we're going to see a stronger Andretti, even if the F1 bid doesn't come off uh, in other championships as well. And don't forget, even just this, we're talking about Andretti right now, and I keep saying the name of the team. Like More people globally are going to know Andretti's name as a racing outfit if they didn't before. Um, because if you think of Formula 1's growth recently, there's a lot of new fans, younger fans, fans from different backgrounds that have got in, and they haven't got in because you know that they've been researching the sport historically. Totally understandably, you don't need to. But there's names there that we or people that have covered the sport for a long time or been really invested in its history know the Andretti name and, and think of Mario as an absolute legend. But there are some people that just don't know who he is or don't know what that name stands for. Now they're learning it because it's been out in the public domain and in news cycles recently. They then hear about it and find out more about its history. So uh, it's all kind of uh, positive steps forward for the team in that sense as well. So is this is this good for Formula One? Are Formula One going to be happy about this, or because they they seem to be pretty uh, pretty ambivalent in uh, in previously about this? So I, I know you need to have a, a joint agreement with FA and Formula One for them to come in. Are they going to want this, or are they going to uh, are they going to uh, not veto it as such, but are they going to kind of block it like they did last time? Uh, so I, I don't think it'll be blocked in that sense. I think if it went as far as making a decision on whether Andretti and and Cadillac Andretti can come in. Uh, that it would happen because you know, with GM's backing, you know, what more can you do? What more can you ask for from a team to have an experienced, successful racing team uh, at a high level uh, that then has the backing of a major manufacturer? But I think actually, like, so you're right, Formula One have been ambivalent, but I think for multiple reasons. One, they don't want to scare off anyone else and make it look like they're just trying to help Andretti come in. Um, when they're having other discussions and and they need to be open and impartial. Two, they don't want the terms dictated to them. Uh, they don't want to be told, you know, well, we're Andretti with a big name. We're coming in, open the door. Um, you know, it's still Formula One sport to to run and to manage. But three, by ha now having the interest out there and making it look competitive, it does mean that anyone who does come in really has a high bar to, to kind of clear. Um, so we might not know about some of the other entries and and Michael Andretti today said himself that information doesn't reach them either. Um, I've not had it directly from Formula One about anyone else that's looking to enter as a brand new team, but anyone who is, 
now knows, okay, this is what you've got to compete with. You've got to compete with GM partnering with an existing racing team. That's the kind of standard. And it, it just kind of strengthens potentially any other interested parties, the level that we're going to get. So Formula One starts being able to take its pick from a number of really good, strong teams. And from that, you know, it can probably pick the one that's going to make it the most money, you know, as an as an addition to the sport, which at the end of the day is what it still needs to do because it has shareholders to answer to and, and the teams want the best revenue they can get. So I, I think it's actually going to be very pleased with this without, but not for the fact that, oh, Andretti's coming in, more for the fact that it just strengthens its position and shows the level of interest that, you know, Audi's coming already, Porsche trying to come in. It, it really does show that Formula One's in a very strong place. And at a time where some manufacturers have been pulling back from motorsport activities or considering them or changing tack, that actually some of the biggest, most iconic uh, motoring names are looking at Formula One and saying, yeah, we want to get involved and, and at quite a serious level. That's, yeah, that's that's absolutely, I think it's going to be big for Formula One. Uh, and I, I hope it comes off because it'd be good to have an all-American team. We, um, I know we got Haas, but it'd be good to see uh, something that's manufacturer-backed and really uh, really push on to uh, into Formula One and, uh, and, and yeah, just just kind of just raise the brand as, as a whole but I think we'll probably move on to because I would love to talk about this all night but uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there's other stuff I'd like to talk to you about as well so before we delve into more about Formula One press pause on this podcast and please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify and anywhere else that you listen to us it really helps us climb the rankings uh, and you'll even get entered into a prize draw to win some grid talk merchandise if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as well as these fireside chats we do previews reviews and live race qualifying race and qualifying shows every week on every race week on youtube and also on all major audio podcast uh, platforms too just search for f1 chronicle or go to f1chronicle.com to find out more moving on to, to more about you then really as i said before you've got this massive role of, of things that uh, that's that's on your uh, on your job list on a daily basis you wear a lot of hats what what is your day-to-day because looking at like your so your linkedin profile just seeing all these things that you do and what you have done what is it you actually do on a day-to-day basis it, it kind of changes depending on the time of year. So today was meant to be a nice, quiet day, um, <laughs> but um, and it, it would have been. So today was solely work for racer.com in the US um, and a little bit of admin and planning and stuff um, in terms of travel things. I'm probably going to Daytona for the Rolex 24 at the end of the month, which I always tend to do. And um, that would involve some work with Motorsport Magazine. So I was discussing a brief with them and looking at travel options. But then yeah, it, it was uh, writing a bit of news for Acer. I was writing a, a written feature for the magazine. Of course, it's a written feature, but yeah, for the for the magazine rather than the website. Uh, and then this press conference uh, happened. So it was sitting on that, asking some questions, writing the reaction as quickly as I could and, and the news story. And then actually quickly did a, a snap reaction podcast for Racer as well. Um, so it that kind of is how flexible you have to be. What I thought was going to be almost a half day at this time of year and just a chance to catch up with admin. And I've, I've still got some other kind of bookings to make and things like that. I booked my hotel for Bahrain, for example, earlier. Um, yeah, a lot of the admin that comes with this sort of freelance life. Um, but to me, it doesn't feel like serious work. That that was what I thought I'd be, I'd be doing today. But in the end, yeah, it got uh, kind of, it ran away from me with, uh, with the Andretti stuff. Uh, but for example, on Tuesday, it was similar where it's some news. I was writing a feature for Racer, but also another feature for Motorsport Magazine. Uh, and discussing their sort of topics and plans and speaking to people uh, for those pieces of content. So um, at this time, it's kind of probably as most people would expect, I think, actually, you know, just a lot a lot of writing, a lot of sitting at your laptop, uh, working from home, 
trying to talk to people, trying to line up interviews, transcribing, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, during the season, much busier. So partly because Formula One is expensive to cover. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of money to travel around to each race. And especially when you get to these venues where interest is now so high, you know, you want to book a hotel there. It, you know, no one sees you say, oh, I'm I'm here to cover it and work. I'm not here as a fan and goes, okay, we'll give you the normal rate. You're paying the, the extortionate rate that everyone else is being hit with. So um, yeah, the costs have gone up. You know, I guess if, if they... If hotel prices have doubled um, at each venue, then of course that's doubled twenty four times a year. So it, it's it's expensive. So I, I try and make the most of being at races weekends, like the access I get. Um, so I'm lucky as a freelancer that I can take on multiple bits of work. I do races uh, coverage for them in terms of reaction pieces um, and interviews. I do motorsport magazines race report on a Sunday um, and also feature off the back of that and any particular news they ask for if it's specific uh, because I can't have a crossover with racer. Uh, then I do some work for formula1.com where I do their pre-race preview feature. Uh, and then on a Saturday, I do a, a feature that says what to watch out for in the Grand Prix. So five topics that are going to be crucial to the race, just for almost more casual fans who kind of just are going to tune in and like, well, you know, what should I be looking out for here? Uh, and I also do a strategy guide for them uh, based on interview with uh, the head of motorsport at Pirelli. So a couple of features on Saturday night there. And I also add to that, uh, the radio coverage I do for Sirius XM. So you try and piece together things that don't clash or don't overlap too much in terms of timings. And with Sirius, it's like instant post-qualifying, post-race, little short 30-second bulletin for their sports news roundups. Uh, and then I'm live on air for an hour pre-race with a build-up show and I do a grid walk and and an hour post-race with all the reaction. Uh, and, and then I can sit down at my desk and do all my writing. And then midweek, I do a, a one-hour long uh, radio show as well that goes out uh, on a Wednesday evening in the US and Canada so that gets recorded on the Tuesday or Wednesday itself so it means I can have traveled home by then I can use the interviews I was doing on a Sunday night um, or arrange a guest to join so you try and get things that don't clash too much and I think that's pretty much it aside from a little bit of writing for a Japanese website that I also do on a Monday morning um, <laughs> which is just a bit of it tends to be some kind of like fun behind the scenes stuff they ask for um, so that normally gets done kind of waiting at airports to fly home or on the plane things like that um, so it, it's trying to piece together different things that um, don't clash. But the reason I'd say I have so much is because I say yes to everything that I get asked if I can, because you don't know when someone turns around and says, I'm sorry at the moment, you know, we're just not uh, making enough money with this project. So we, we can't afford to pay you or we have to cut back on what we're doing. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of, I'm just a content provider in a sense. So a little bit out of my hands. So if, uh, you kind of worry as a freelancer that one year someone will turn around and be like, oh, you know, you know, I'm not going to use you anymore. Maybe because I'm doing a terrible job or maybe just because of other circumstances. And that that's going to have a major impact. Whereas in full-time job, you're a bit more protected and you have, um, you know, perks and you have um, all of the things like pensions and holiday time and all that. And I don't have any of that stuff. So you try and cover yourself by saying yes to as much because you never know when uh, when you might need uh, each new thing. So yeah, I just uh, I just try and pile it pile it all on, and it, it it means that this time of year is normally my my quieter spell. But uh, as a day like today shows, it's it's never fully quiet. Yeah, and we really appreciate, it. as I said again, you were saying yes to us. That's uh, that's very very good of you. But um, I was going to ask you about the you mentioned it before the the F one boom in in America specifically. How has that changed your job? Has that made it easier to uh, to to pick up work, or is it or is it actually harder because now every man and his dog seems to have a podcast? You know. Uh, I'd say it's easier to be fair. Um, I think for me, where I was luckiest was that boom in part was driven by Netflix and Drive to Survive. Um, it, not the only reason. And I think it's fair to say that if you look at 
Cota and Circuit of the Americas, what they built as a Grand Prix venue, it actually became a really cool event that people were starting to come to more and more before Drive to Survive then amplified all of that. But um, and, and with Liberty as owners anyway, there was there was a growing focus on the US. So I was kind of luckily well-placed because Racer.com is a US website. Um, and now with SiriusXM, they're a US broadcaster. But I actually found that by being in the first series of Drive to Survive, it kind of made me more recognizable to this new audience that was largely North American or had been targeted as North American. So then uh, a few more bits of work came off the back of that. I got to do some more broadcast work off the back of it. Um, and I was only in the first season, but it it just built a bit of momentum. So um, as interest grew, I was a, I was lucky enough to become a bit more of a known, um, I guess, person in the paddock, you know, reporter. Um where and I, I was liking this to uh, a lot of people follow the excellent Johnny, Johnny Noble from Autosport Motorsport um, as one of the best journalists out there. And Johnny, I saw on his Twitter, had I don't know, nearly 100,000 followers about five years ago. And all he was doing was tweeting out, I felt at the time was tweeting out s- stories. He wasn't really giving any of his own insight or giving his own opinion on much stuff. He was just tweeting story links, which is how a lot of people do it. It's just a, you know another way of promoting the content that's being written. Um, but I felt that I was doing that plus adding a bit more with background context, whatever I could do when I could. And I had hardly anyone following me. But then I realized it was just because he'd been there before and people knew of him, knew his name and had followed him originally when Twitter had become big. And and therefore it was established. So I didn't change anything. But through Drive to Survive, more people then knew who I was or looked me up or whatever it may well have been. But then my following grew and then that set, starts to feed itself and it continues to grow. So then you just by doing nothing different by getting a bit lucky i guess by being on the on the uh, documentary you're just getting more known um and your work is getting seen by more people and then more people come to you asking you to do things for them or come to you to tell you rubbish whatever it may be but um yeah it kind of it feeds itself then so that that was i guess a stroke of luck um being in the right place at the right time but that's then led to yeah more more and more work because um i think if people were thinking who can we get to do x y or z Five years ago, I was a name that never would have come into their head, and and even though nothing, I've done nothing differently. Now they just know that maybe they want to reach out and ask me. Fantastic. So, uh, if you're taking money out of the equation and and, and earning a crust and uh, and obviously you know surviving, do you prefer like pre 2018 Formula One or or is the post the post Bernie hustle and bustle more suited to you? I'd say the post Bernie Hustle and Bustle is more suited, um, mainly because you said take money out of it and the cost of everything going up is um, I, I can ignore. Um, realistically, the only downside has been there's been a bit more tribalism b- between fans that I think doesn't always um, stay the right side of fandom. Um, you know, I'm a football fan as well, and I, I actually think you can you can really see the passion in people when you do get sort of disagreements, arguments, people really backing their own team or driver. But there is a limit. There is a line. Um, that that can get crossed by people on all sides, and you know, I wouldn't actually say it's one particular driver or team, um, but through social media as well, that gets amplified a bit. So that maybe has boomed a bit further than than I think has been healthy, um, and it's good that there's been a few steps taken to just try and rein that in slightly because you don't want to undo all the good work. It's great we have so many more fans and, and that they're so passionate, um, especially existing fans, I think have become even more passionate because they're like, well, I've, I've been here for so long. Um, there's a bit of gatekeeping that goes on, but it, it, in, in a good way, actually, it's pride in in the sport. So um, yeah, I think it's just, that'll settle down over the next year or two, I'm hoping, and, and that will be good. Um, but yeah, just the energy around the place, the the attitude has changed massively within Formula One. There's a lot more 
uh, answers of yes than no that compared to how they used to be. It's still very difficult to get approval to do things, um, to get interviews, to to do cool stuff, create cool things, whatever. But but teams have started just opening up a bit more. Social media has become much more used than it was five years ago. Um, under Bernie, it was non-existent. So yeah, a lot of that has has changed for the better, and I think it feels much more like a big global forward-thinking sport now still plenty of areas where it doesn't but way more than it used to um and i think that's a good thing and and that's happened so quickly that naturally there's still weaknesses and and areas that can be approved on or or will kind of be tried and and will fail but um again moving over maybe the next five years i I reckon we'll look at it um much more established and controlled and settled and and uh, effective than it maybe has been over the last few years as well which is a good thing so the the only real downside is now traffic's a nightmare getting in and out of circuits because all the crowds are massive but um that's you know can't, can't really complain about it but that's the only thing when you're having to get up an extra two hours earlier because traffic's so bad but um i remember doing the covid races and having no traffic and that was the only good thing about it mm. there was nothing else yeah. that was good about those races at all um and and it made you really I found it watching other sports, but even with Formula One, it made you really, really value um, what it what it feels like to be at a big event when you've got a big crowd there and when you've got fans there that are that, that are having a dream weekend or getting to um, come to one of these races. That's when you you just take a second to go, yeah, like this is huge for people. This is this matters to people um, because there's other times you can stand around and go, why am I? like stressing so much about writing about cars going around a racing track why am i letting it influence my mood so much and and my relationships with people and all that stuff but then when you see what it means to other people uh that's the bit when it's like yeah it's worth doing yeah there's one other thing that i quite liked about the the covid races which was not cutting away from uh from overtaking opportunities to view (laughs) pictures of fans that was one thing would always get my goat but i have to say it's it's got a little bit better uh than it was sort of just before the uh the pandemic it was just getting ridiculous the uh and the the piped in fan noises in bahrain and stuff as well was 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 very frustrating but um but liberty as a whole i i of the opinion they they've done a they've done a very good job since they since they came in uh, what's your opinion do, do you think that they've fundamentally changed formula one or or to quote red dwarf have they just hosed it down and given it a hat <laughs> love that um i i think they fundamentally changed it i think they've uh, completely changed the way that the sport thinks and it it's some of it's for better, some of it's for worse, but on the whole, it's for better. And if you think of the way that teams used to run things, uh, the way the whole point was, you know, we're here to go racing and we want to build the quickest cars we can and the best engineers are going to win. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. That doesn't have a future. That's cool. That's great. But in reality, if you're not doing stuff that really appeals to people and is going to make them want to come and watch it and spend their money and back it, then it will fail eventually. And that's where Formula 1 was at risk, risking kind of heading at one stage in the mid 2000s and late 2000s which is why we saw big manufacturers pulling out now under liberty i mean they've not actually been in charge all that long when you think about how long it takes to change certain things and i think they've moved it on so much where so many people want to be a part of formula one whether they're manufacturers whether they're drivers whether it's new teams whether it's fans whether it's companies or sponsors there's so much i mean races to host ones it's it's booming because of the decisions they've made. And some of them haven't been great, but most of them have been really, really effective. Um, even when people have scoffed at them. And, you know, again, I, I don't want to keep 
banging this drum, but you know, we talk about Netflix, but that was one where people were like, you know, what's that going to look like or what are they going to show? And it's coming out nine months later or whatever. And it's, it's now the benchmark for all sports documentaries. You know, every motorsport category wants their own version of drive to survive. Same with, you know, golf are doing one. Tennis has got one coming as well. And they all wanted it because they saw how good it was for Formula One. So, um, yeah, I think, I think they've been very, very smart. And the fact we've got days like today with the announcement with Andretti and, and Cadillac, you know, that wasn't being announced five years ago. That interest wasn't there. Um, big established American racing teams didn't want to come and race in Formula One. Um, they were happy with what they had in, in a sense um, because there were so many weaknesses or, or ways it didn't work for them. So um, I think there's been some real, real progress made. I think what will be really interesting will be moving forward. And sorry, I know I waffle with some of these answers, but moving forward from here is that a lot of the focus has been on North America because Liberty are North American based. They know that market well and they saw huge potential for growth there. But once they start to really achieve that and they look to where's next or where else can we capitalize, it's how effectively they do that in, in an area that maybe they're not quite as comfortable. And I still don't doubt that they'll do well because they've shown that as a media and marketing company um that they're excellent at what they do but it, it will be another challenge for them which will be interesting to see how that goes because it might not go quite as smoothly but um yeah i I've, i sit here thinking that i'm kind of lucky to be working in the sport at this moment in time when it's really excelling and really growing and there's a lot of momentum behind it that feels firm that feels kind of like you know it's, it's a good foundation that's in place um compared to the kind of boom and bust years that it went through at different times over the last 30 40 years really yeah i i have a feeling that had they not come in when they did uh formula one may not have made it through the pandemic which is just mm. looking at how it is now is is just just unthinkable really but um putting the right people in place putting ross broad and stefano de Milicali in and, and uh, sean bratches and uh, people like that did a fantastic job in those early years but um all kind of built up to what was last year, the, the 2022 regulations. Um, do you think that, that, that they've worked? Um, and what are, are the biggest pros and cons of the new rules for you? So I actually think they have worked. And I think people tend to forget just how, dare I say it, bad the racing used to be at times. Um, where you know, a, a car could come up behind another car and if they weren't over a second a lap faster, they were just done for. They were going nowhere. Um, and all they could do or even if they were you know, comfortably faster but couldn't find a way past, was sit back to not ruin their tyres and wait for a pit stop or something to try and get past. And and even then, the car ahead they knew, well, as soon as we pit, we're screwed. Either they undercut us or they overcut us, but they're so much quicker they get past that way. And now you get proper racing. You do get battles. I mean, the way it started as well in Bahrain, to have two cars so closely matched um, and to swap positions regularly for a number of laps uh, and and feel like it was close until Verstappen retired. Then uh, in Saudi, when the same happened, and that was going right down to the last corner of the last lap before a yellow flag ruined it. But you know, the, it wasn't that someone broke away. The, the, the fight could continue. Um, I thought that was excellent because not only that, they're still incredible cars, incredibly quick. You know, they found this amazing way of almost losing, I mean, we lost maybe a couple of seconds a lap, but not enormous performance from where Formula One cars were and still improved the racing that much. Nico Hulkenberg said it about three years ago, I think, three or four years ago, that essentially he was certain you couldn't get good racing from F1 cars if you wanted them to be that quick because of physics. He just said the way they've got to generate performance, you can't have a car that moves that quickly and doesn't disturb what's behind it. But they've found a way of really improving that. And, and I think... That's been very impressive to do that then under a cost cap era that's made every team much more viable uh, as a business model, but also 
the final qualifying session, Q1, 1.7 seconds covered all 20 drivers, not just the 10 teams, all 20 drivers from Verstappen to Latifi. Um, and people mock Latifi, but he's driving a Williams and he was still within two seconds of the, the quickest, you know, the dominant driver right now and the, the outright quickest guy. That is unheard of compared to where we were a couple of years ago. You had cars that were five, six seconds a lap off the pace. We had HRT not making 107%. Like Everything is so much stronger and closer. At the same time, that has meant some races get a bit dull because everyone's just a bit cl- too closely matched and they kind of fall into line and there's no differential and and, and they roll home. But that's going to happen in anything. You get it in any sport, like a nil-nil draw in football where two teams cancel each other out and they're very closely matched so should make for a good game but instead they actually make for a dull one so you know it's still sport it's still unpredictable in that sense i i do think those rules really worked and for it to be the first year of them especially tweaks can be made you know it's such a big departure from what we had before they can learn from what didn't quite work and there were small things that didn't but nothing huge that didn't uh and and iron those out to make it even better plus you'd hope over time teams will converge so from the close starting point we had, fingers crossed they get even closer. Um, I, th- I think it was a really, really promising season. It wasn't, it's not the end result. It's not the final package by any stretch. And F1 being F1, we never have it. We don't settle on a set of rules and leave it like that for 30 years. No. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely a really good first season, I think, for these regulations. Um, and you know, we could well be heading into a year where we've got three teams fighting for the title. In cars, you can race each other in really closely. It could be epic. Yeah, my, my one concern with the news, and I'm I'm in complete agreement with you. I've 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 been defending the regulations all season when people some people have been saying that it's that it's not worked. But my one concern, which did man- manifest itself in a few races, is that when you do have a dominant driver, because you can follow so much easier, you get things like Verstappen coming from fifteenth to win the race comfortably, and and that means that kind of it kind of takes that strategy out. Where you know if you if you kind of you you luck into a certain strategy or or you play a blinder of a strategy, but it doesn't matter because the guy's just going to come through anyway that's my that's my only concern um but uh, have you got any any thoughts on that I, I think it's a fair point i think it it's why it was important that these rules came in hand in hand with the cost cap because you're trying to limit the ability for a team to disappear like that and don't forget we've got things like the resource um, restriction well no the aerodynamic aerodynamic testing restriction atr so many different uh, codes um but with with that obviously the the champions get the least amount of wind tunnel time 10th gets the most uh almost like you know north american sports drafts which um for a while i always thought was a bit gimmicky or maybe wasn't quite right but this is still a sport and you want to try and make it competitive um and you're kind of saying to people great like you're doing a good job but we're not going to let you lock in that advantage we're going to reset it as often as we can keep doing a good job is what we're saying um you're asking for excellence over a longer period of time so i i don't think it's been a bad thing at all and that should also limit a team pulling away and, and having a dominant car over a long period so the intention of having a, under a cost cap era where you prevent that is that you get a closer field and you have fewer occasions that that happens um which was important because you're right w- without it uh, if you did get the field spread that we'd had in previous years and then yeah a car ends up one of those great mixed up grids at the back and they can just fly through like like Max did at Spa then it would be a bit dull because it'd be a bit like you know when Merck were dominant in 2014 and 15 and 16 and you're just like it doesn't matter where they start they win the race by two laps um but I, I think by putting it all together um all the ingredients are there for it to avoid that happening too often 
yeah, I, I agree. I have constant arguments with people on on social media about about it, saying, "Oh, it's so much." You know, looking at Monaco, it's so much better in the old days. And I'm like, yeah, when people are winning by three laps, of course they can overtake. But uh, but you know, a, a, agreement there, absolutely. So um, obviously, we touched now on on 2022 and and the season. But what do you think awaits us in 2023, and and what do you hope will happen? Um, I, could, I should have pretended this was before the Andretti announcement. Be like, I think we're going to hear about a potential new team. Um, <laughs> I, I think we're going to see a closer battle between Red Bull and Mercedes this year than we had last year. I still always struggle to have faith in Ferrari to produce <laughs> um, consistently. And it's, you know, they, they had such a good platform last year. They still have it to build on for this year. Hopefully they have done a good job on that front, but I just, I always have to wait for preseason testing to, to feel that. I, I think we saw with Mercedes progress that they're starting to understand where they went wrong last year. They're then learning how to get more out of their car. And I just think they'll be much closer this coming season. But because of where they're starting from and in this new era of uh, restrictions, it won't be so easy for them just to jump miles clear of anyone. Uh, And I think Red Bull just had such a good car because just taking weight off it really improved it that even with their penalty for the cost cap breach, they're still going to be there or thereabouts. So I am genuinely even more hopeful. I mean, last year was hard to know how it's going to play out. I'm I'm much more hopeful this year that we get a multi-team fight for the title and that it should go a long way into the year, whether or not, you know, if if it's Ferrari that the main challenge is again to one of the other two teams, then who knows the way they tend to perform. But uh, yeah, I'm really hopeful for that. And I, I think we're going to see an even more competitive midfield because for the midfield teams, it's even harder to kind of reverse out of a problem. And they all actually were fairly closely matched last season, but yeah, Williams were, they, they didn't have a particularly competitive car. There was times the Alpha Tower was nowhere. There was times the Haas was nowhere. All of those kind of weaknesses over the winter that they've been able to look at, again, because the technical regulations are so constricted, but then also with the cost cap. I just think that they all have to then focus on those weaknesses first and foremost. They can't really wipe the slate clean. They just have to improve on their weaknesses, which should hopefully, again, just close them up a bit. The only worry really from last year was that the gap was still so big between the top three and the rest. And I don't see that closing that quickly. Um, you know, I think with the upheaval there's been as well with some changes in management, um, if anything, it probably plays into Alpine's hands a little that, that they're the most stable, aside from losing Alonso, they're the most stable managerially. And in terms of their engineering team, there's been changes elsewhere, but engineering wise, they're still strong. So I think they might, take a little step further forward um whether it's particularly closer to the top three i'm not sure but um they might just pull a little bit clear of some of the other midfield teams um but i think we're gonna just have another a, a very similar season to last year in the sense of we had so many great races and even in isolation so many exciting mm-hmm. moments uh, that i think these cars deliver but i think these drivers deliver and i think if we look at the quality of the grid you can't pick a team that doesn't have at least one standout driver if you go all the way down, obviously the top three have excellent drivers all the way down. Ocon have been very good for Alpine. Um, and Gasly, uh, we've seen him be great at times for AlphaTauri. We'll wait and see what he does in a new environment. But, you know, potential there. Obviously, McLaren with Lando Norris um, is fully, fully proven. Bottas led Alfa Romeo impressively. Haas had Magnussen and have now added Hulkenberg. But Magnussen got the big results there. Um, Got to make sure I don't forget anyone when I, while I do this. Obviously, Albon at Williams, I think, did a did a cracking job for them as well. Mm. Uh, and Aston Martin now have added Alonso. So you, you don't really have a team that doesn't have a clear, experienced leader that can get the most out of their machinery. And, and that means that on any given race weekend, 
there's normally a couple of teams that are, are performing really, really well and having some good racing. You don't you don't get one that's miles off the back. So um, yeah, I, th- I think the ingredients are still all there for for some great races. I just really hope because this is how most people judge a season, we get a title battle that goes a long, long way into it. Yeah, well, I'm going to grill you on some predictions in a minute as well. But uh, before we before we do that, I'd love to ask your opinion more for uh, anyone listening at home as well. Um, how would you go into becoming a, a Formula One journalist? Is it a young man's game, sort of coming straight from school, or or can kind of forty something podcaster get into it? Asking for a friend. <laughs> um, I think anyone can get into it because it's all about whether you speak to an audience. Now, um, it's it's whether. Uh, because you can create your own content, um, at, you know, as we're doing now, or um, people can set up their own websites. Really, uh, obviously, yeah, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort, and it's very hard to get your stuff seen. But you know, you can promote it on social media sites that don't cost money. Um, there's there's just so many ways of of making your content visible that I do think anyone can do it. I was lucky enough to go straight pretty much from university, where I, I studied sports journalism, which I would say for anyone who's thinking of going to university and wants to do this sort of job to look down that avenue because you learn a lot about the way you need to work quite often under pressure as well and and certain things with you know, law for journalists and and where you um where you can and can't tread and that sort of thing um the main thing though i think for anyone who wants to work i guess within journalism but certainly within formula one journalism is you've got to work on relationships and based on that it's it's no good being false or fake um, like make sure your persona is you like be authentic like what people see what people hear not only when they watch your content or listen to your content or read your content but then when you interact with them directly because people then will trust you whether it's readers listeners um, consumers or team members or drivers whatever it may be um, if they feel that you are honest and trustworthy that will get you further um, and the thing is you have to be honest and trustworthy otherwise it, at some point it will fall down or people will see through it and won't give you accurate information or won't want to give you opportunities um and it it seems so simple and so easy but i think a lot of people um certainly when they work in kind of content creation and broadcasting and things like that feel the need to kind of turn on uh, for a certain spell and then turn off again but then you're you're kind of being two different people and when when people you need to work with come across you they're like well which version am i getting or which version is should i be dealing with um so that's always something I say is a, a really important key component uh, for anyone at any stage, um, whether they're entering it, you know, and they're 60 and they want to do it uh, as an older person or, or they're coming out of school um, and boys and girls as well. Um, like, you know, it should be there's there's such a big, varied audience now for Formula One, which is great, um, that it also means that there's a, a demand for a variety of content creators and writers and journalists. And um, I feel like there's more opportunities now in that sense. But it also means it's much more competitive. So, yeah, if, if you could be someone that people like to work with, like to listen to, watch, read, um, and like to deal with and, and be interviewed by or whatever, uh, then that's going to stand you in good stead. Fantastic. Well, I think that's probably beyond me now. Uh, I'm still waiting for my call for the Formula One drive, to be honest. But uh, Alonso is still older than me, so I've still got a chance. But uh, we're going to move on to to predictions now, and I'm going to limit you to just one word answers on these on these uh, predictions. So, um, so no no sitting on the fence or anything like that. So you know, I just said make sure people like you, and now you've put you've done this to me. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> You can you can say uh, you can say no comment. I'll allow that. Okay. Um, so who is going to win the drivers' championship? Verstappen. And who will win the Constructors' Championship? Mercedes. Okay, interesting. Will the championship come down to the last round? No. Okay. 
Will Ted Kravitz liken a race strategy to a type of cheese? Absolutely. <laughs> Will a driver from outside the top six win a race on merit? Yes. Yes. Okay. Who? <laughs> Who will that driver be? Miss <laughs> Gamble, Fernando Alonso. Wow. Okay. Big take. That's mm. uh, that's going to ruin my bold prediction for later on. Then <laughs> going to um, ruin my reputation. Yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> Which team will prop up the table? Williams. And who will be the most impressive of the rookies? Logan Sargent. Okay. So the final one on the one-word answers then will be, who will be the biggest disappointment of the season, be team or driver? Alpha Tauri. Okay, so sure. I think they've had a pretty disappointing season anyway. So yeah. going, uh, going from there, this is surely only the way is up. So uh, now obviously I... losing Gasly though, it's, it's going to be... I feel for that one. It's it's mm. because of the yeah lack of leadership that they'll have, and and it's just going to be. A, I feel like the team's drifting, and with the drive lineup it's got, there'll be flashes, but it it just really won't. I can't see it going any further. Mm. Um, and I feel like they might because they're at such a low ebb. You expect them to do better, and I feel like they maybe won't. Mm. Um, and I am. I know I'm not meant to justify these, but on the uh, I just did, I want to apologise in advance to Oscar Piastri because it wasn't a <laughs> he'll do badly. I think most people will underestimate Sargent's. Um, potential on that pace um, and I think we saw really good improvement from him during his F2 season and so he had a couple of pole positions he's, he's been underestimated because of the way his career's gone but what stood out to me was his F3 season with Chiru's really uncompetitive car and he turned that team into a regular podium finisher and won its first race at F3 level um, and that's not easy to do against some of the teams that are in Formula 3 in terms of the, the quality they have and the money they have so yeah, I, I just feel like he'll be underestimated and will exceed expectations. That's that's probably more why I'd, I'd label that one. So there are my caveats. Sorry, I know that wasn't asked for. No, that's 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 <laughs> fine. Um, I, I was a big fan of Sargent in that F3 season, actually. And he took the championship to the last race. And had he not been punted out, he could potentially have won that championship. So uh, he was the one that was obviously fighting with Piastri. So I was uh, I was gunning for him for the championship that year. But uh, obviously now Piastri is signed for McLaren. Uh, you're unaware of my McLaren loyalties. But uh, uh, yeah, a huge McLaren fan. So I'm now a Piastri fan as well well i nearly did give lando the win mm. um but i just felt like being a bit more bold than that and, and i do expect aston to make strides because they made them join last season but um now piastri i think has i feel like he's on hiding to nothing after last year's saga yeah. i think it was none of his own making really he was doing what was or he was advised to do what was right for his career and i think when it all came out um from the contract recognition boards he did the right thing but there was just so much instant focus on him. And now people all expect him to set the world alight as a rookie against Lando, who is obviously um, performing right at the top of his game. So I, I really feel like it, it's expectations are going to be unfairly high for Oscar and probably unfairly low for Logan. I think each of them will kind of equal out a little bit. Um, so even though Oscar will probably have a better season than Logan has, it will look like Logan's had the better one because of what people expect of each of them. But um no, I'm a big, big fan of Oscar, and I, I really do hope he um, he goes well because that was that was a fun season that F three season you mentioned as well th mm. to go right to the wire. And there were teammates, uh, Terry Porcher was in the mix as well, but you had some real quality drivers, which we now see seeing as they've reached F one so quickly, um, scrapping it out in the COVID year, which was tough. 
and they had it it was so short their seat their championship it was so intense um i think it showed that that yeah they're, they're a pair of uh, good talents yeah absolutely i was going to ask you for a bold prediction but i think you've covered that one off of fernando alonso <laughs> winning a race so uh, I'll, I'll skip that one um what do you think of chris's predictions let us know your opinions in the comments or on our socials you can follow us on twitter at f1 chronicle and i'm at tom horrocks f1 if you want to follow me chris where can people follow you and where else can they go to read your words and hear your voice uh, so they can follow me at Chris Medland F1 on Twitter. I, I normally tweet way too much during race weekends and even outside of them. Uh, I'm also at Chris Medland on Instagram. And then they can read my words at racer.com, motorsportmagazine.com, uh, join the season f1.com and hear my voice on the Padhock podcast every now and then. And also on SiriusXM if people are listening from North America uh, join the season. Are you sure there's nothing you want to plug? There's... <laughs> yeah, I've just plugged all of them, haven't I? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so look, looking ahead, Grid Talk will be expanding its show base to support the uh, the support series too. So look out for more information on that. We're really excited about bringing that to the listeners. And the race weekend format will remain mostly unchanged and we'll be bringing you lots of extra content. So stay tuned wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much to our audience, as always. And we'll be back with more pre-season content soon. We look forward to seeing you then. Goodbye. <laughs>